0: It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app, streaming live on YouTube, too, at the Team 980. Uh, for the YouTube stream, we, uh, we forgot to hit a button to start the show. And you know what, Anthony? You can go get the fine board out of uh, my studio, and you can put a 15-point fine on me. That's a hundred percent my fault. That is a significant fine. Uh but if you missed uh my opening thoughts on Eric Bieniemy and such uh and, and his comments today about the QB change, you can of course rewind on the Free Odyssey app. We were live on the radio. I just forgot to start the stream, and that's on me. Uh however, now we bring in someone who doesn't make those kinds of mistakes, a real expert, subject matter expert uh on on the NFL, and and frankly, so much more. Uh it's our pal Mike Jones. Time for not my beat. Today's top story from the perspective of someone who's there. You are looking live. This just in, not my beat. Mike, of course, is a senior reporter for the Athletic, and he joins us now. Mike, how are you, sir? I'm doing
1: well. How are you doing,
0: Craig? I'm doing well. Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to the family. Um, hope that it's uh, it's been a relatively easy end of year for you, though. There's there's lots happening uh, in the league that you cover, uh, including in here. And by the way, I do want to mention um, I, I was scrolling through my Twitter replies uh, on Sunday night and I saw that Mike had replied to a tweet. Mike, I did. I did a very smart thing uh, for for my general wellness, which is I took Twitter off of my phone. So hey, I, did not, I did not ignore smart. your very good response to one of the tweets that I actually did put out in the game. It's just that I then decided to get off of Twitter and didn't see it until I opened my iPad or whatever device I was on later.
1: Hey, I have had many times that I have done that just for mental health. And so, hey, I don't blame you one bit.
0: Yeah, um, but you you did have some good, I think, perspective, um, and I'm glad that we can talk about it here on the radio instead of on that godforsaken website. Um, I I, th- I thought you had some good points about kind of how we've gotten to this point when it comes to Sam Howell and where all the different you know p- pieces of the blame pie, if you will, start to come together. Ultimately, when you look at kind of the pecking order of reasons why Sam Howell has now been benched for Jacoby Brissett from – the, the kind of ecosystem around the team to how Eric approached it to Sam's skill level itself. Um, why do you, why do you think that we're here?
1: I, I don't know if there's, I don't think there's one reason. I think there's a lot of reasons and that went into this and none of them were good. Um, I think <laughs> Sam was starting before he was actually ready to be a starter. I mean, look, and I know all this, the the howl hive, all those people, will be like, well, he was leading the league in passing. Well, yes, he was, okay, which was, you know, great, which was nice and everything like that. But you always got to take that stuff with a grain of salt early on because as we've seen as the season has progressed, it's not that Sam has gotten worse. It's just that defenses understand his game better and they understand what Eric the enemy wants to do better. Um, and that's why And they've faced tougher defenses as well. And I think when you have a young quarterback, it is clear – Eric bien knows how to draw plays. He knows how to X and O and everything like that. I'm surprised as a former running back that he doesn't run the ball more. But it's clear he doesn't understand how to support a young quarterback because he's used to working with Patrick Mahomes, who's a wizard. The (laughs) the lack of a consistent run game, um, the lack of balance, really put way too much pressure on this young quarterback. And also on Ron Rivera. And, and, and Martin Mayhew, the offensive line, they put this guy behind. If you're going to put a young quarterback out there, you've got to give him two things, a really strong offensive line and a strong run game. And Sam Mahalo didn't have any of that, and he was dropping back to throw way too many times a game for a quarterback um, uh, at his point in his career. And so that's why this thing didn't work out. And just again, these defensive coordinators are really smart. And once they figure out, oh, this is what he likes to do, they know how to take stuff away from uh, a quarterback, from a play caller, and they know how to put them in really bad positions. And that's what we've seen uh, throughout the second half of the season.
0: I love the way you put all that because it shows how many different fail-safes had to fail for it to go this badly. Like, Sam probably could have used a little bit more time to marinate, but if you put him in the right ecosystem, maybe you can overcome that. If Eric does this, if the line is better... Um, and when you think about your time now covering the league as you have, um, obviously mo- I think most of the audience knows Mike, of course, used to cover the commanders for the Washington Post, but has been covering the league at large for uh, the better part of a half decade. If not, I don't know, Mike, what is time anymore? Like 2019 was last year, but also five years ago. So how long has it been since you've been covering the NFL for the athletic
1: um, and USA Today so the and, and the whole deal? A year USA Today is 2017. I've covered the NFL as a whole between Washington and this for shoot, 12 years. So I've seen a lot of football, talked to a lot of coaches, a lot of GMs, a lot of scouts. It's not that I'm an expert. I just talk to people (laughs) who are experts.
0: Right. Point being though, like you, you've seen people you cover here span out throughout the league, obviously. and, And then you've been covering the league as a whole for a long time. Now, when you see young quarterbacks succeed and they're able to avoid some of these pitfalls that we just talked about, how, how do the coaches, how do the quarterbacks adapt and adjust in a way that you know, whether it's Sam and, and someone taking a shot on him again next year here, or probably more likely uh, a draft pick coming in, that you you don't see these midseason dips and turns towards, uh, you know, hey, we can't operate anymore because the defense has figured us out.
1: No, I mean you've got to set the table for them. You've got to okay, if the offensive line is not protecting them in all these drive back situations, you've got to go with more of a run game and you've got to go with more play action passing attack that will buy time, that will cause a split second of hesitation in the minds of the defensive players because they know they have to respect the run. If you're not going to even try to run the football, they can just pin back their ears and come after you all the time. And so that's what we've seen right here. So if you think about the young quarterbacks that are having success in the league right now, think about C.J. Stroud from that Shanahan School of Offense that believes in building a strong run game And using the play action and using the bootlegs, not, you know, moving the quarterback out of the pocket, not just being a sitting duck back there. Because, I mean, I think that we see sometimes when there's a scramble drill, Sam can be really good. He can throw on the run and everything like that. But at the same time, he's presses at times and he makes some really bad interceptions on scramble drills as well. Um, So there's just ups and downs and there will be ups and downs with young quarterbacks. But again, he has not been supported and brought along in a way that is best for his development.
0: Mike Jones, senior NFL writer for The Athletic with us. What do you think this has done for Eric Bieniemy's reputation and potential OC and head coach candidacy around the league?
1: I mean, I think if you have a veteran quarterback, then he is, you know, good. And, you know, he's shown, hey, I can, you know, put together a, a snazzy passing attack and um, an offense that can, can move the ball. Now, I really would have been curious to see what he would have done with Jacoby Brissett as his starting quarterback because we've seen Jacoby gets the ball out of his hands quickly and he moves the ball downfield. Um, And, you know, again, also, these defensive coordinators did not have time to game plan for Jacoby Brissett. So I'm not going to say that he's amazing, but I do think that a veteran quarterback just understands, has a better internal clock, and has a, a firmer grasp on how to execute this type of offense um, and we're going to see in the next couple of weeks. Unfortunately for Jacoby Brissett, he's going against San Francisco's defense and Dallas's defense, who are going to rip him apart because they have an offensive line that's terrible. So you're not going to see what he can all also do fully, but you will see flashes of what this offense could be like with a veteran quarterback.
0: When you look at the the top candidates around the league, um, GM and head coach wise, um, let's start with let's start with the head coach uh, you know, tree, like. There's been a, a severe turn towards offensive coaches. The data suggests that's typically the better hire. Obviously, there are also very clear exceptions. Like, what What's your kind of generic top three to five, whatever the top kind of echelon of, of candidates is for you, that if you're Josh Harris and company, you'd be looking at after the season?
1: You know, I don't know that you have to have an offensive coach. Um, I think you need to have a strong leader. Uh, if you and, and I've been asking around, like, what kind of coach is Josh Harris looking for? And not a lot of people know because, remember, you know, he has not been in NFL circles, so it's a lot of guesswork. But if you look at what he did in the NBA, he went after established guys, Doc Rivers, Nick Nurse, guys who, you know, won a lot of games. He didn't go with young guys. So, you know, does that mean it's a retread guy? Um, does it mean that it's, you know – pursuing somebody by a trade I don't know but I think it's more of an established type of guy um, that would be um, you know something that he would look and again it's all guesswork everybody I've talked to you know they would like to know as well and there hasn't been a lot of whispers on Washington's coming after this guy or going after these coaches so I don't know I don't want to say oh you know Ben Johnson is going to be great for them or something like that. Because again, I think that he probably would go with the veteran guy, um, you know, but does that mean it's an offensive mind? Because we're seeing D'Amico Ryan's a defensive guy and, you know, he just armed himself with a smart offensive coordinator and Bobby Slowick, and they're having success there. We saw the Panthers go after an offensive guy because David Tepper just had to have an offensive guy with Frank Reich. And he brought in, you know, all these different offensive minds with Jim Caldwell and Thomas Brown and, Josh McCown, and they had too many cooks in the kitchen, and it was a disaster. So I don't think it has to be an offensive guy or a defensive guy. It just has to be a guy who's got a strong vision and knows how to select talent um, from a coaching staff standpoint and, and get his message across and get guys to buy in.
0: Yeah. Um, is there anybody on the, the executive side that you really particularly like? Um, and again, like I know you, there's only so much information available on who Harris wants and he's keeping things pretty close to the vest. Um, you know, he's not. He's not in these NFL circles where everyone's got their sources, et cetera. Um, but just you, you're around. You talk to people. Like, is, is there anybody that you've talked to over the last couple of years um, where you're just like, man, that's a future GM. That guy's really sharp. Um, I know there's uh, you know, so, some uh, there's a woman in the the Browns front office as well, so I don't want to say just guys, but like any, any people around the league where you're like, yeah, future GM would be a great fit um, anywhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that you do have to look at, okay, who are some of the smart teams, the smart GMs, and then, okay, who are the people training under them? Whether it is um, in Philadelphia with Howie Roseman and his staff, and he's got guys like Brandon Hunt uh, who have been in Pittsburgh's organization for a long time and then came to Philly. Um, Jeff Scott, who is actually in Washington, who's been working under him. um, Hear good things about him. Um, You know, look at Cleveland. That's a front office that – has built a really strong team. They lost their starting quarterback, both right tackle, left tackle, starting running back, and they're going to the playoffs. Um, Glenn Cook um, is a guy that's in that front office that, you know, and then San Francisco has got guys that have been being brought along under, um, um, you know, Kyle Shanahan and, um, uh, shoot, why am I blinking on there, uh, John Lynch. So, you know, I, I think that you've got to look at some of those organizations that have, been a part of building something and a strong culture and then go from there I don't like the head coaches the coach and the GM uh, model I think you need to have a team um, you know and people have said oh you know Bill Belichick I don't think you know that that'd be a good idea because Bill Belichick has shown in the last several years he doesn't know how to evaluate talent anymore Um, so I don't know which way they go but I would definitely be looking at some young talented guys that have come or or You know, women who have come from winning organizations um, that have a strong track record of um, success and people who have been around smart minds for a good while.
0: I would say that also, by the way, fits the Josh Harris model, right? Like even think back to his first head coach for the Sixers was Brett Brown, um, who right. is not the veteran established guy, but did come from the San Antonio culture. So, you know, the uh, let's get someone from a winning program approach certainly seems to be the way that, that Harris likes to do things. Um, Wrap it up here with Mike Jones of The Athletic. Um, totally switching gears, Mike. This Russell Wilson situation is bonkers. Um, right. So for, for fans that haven't uh, been locked into this over the last 24 hours, Um, Your colleague, Diana Rossini, reported amongst others uh, that basically Russ was told months ago, like, hey, man, we're going to give you this option to move your injury guarantees. If you don't, we're probably just going to bench you at the end of the season and and cut you in March. And they're going to pay him like thirty seven million dollars or there's there's like a cash number. That's crazy. I think the thirty seven is the dead cap number. My question to you, Mike, is like. Have you ever seen anything like this? And especially for a quarterback, by the way, who I think is seventh in the NFL in passer rating. Like, he's not having a terrible season. He's 25 touchdowns to eight picks. Can you remember anything like this where the contract and the the divorce was happening in such a bizarre, twisted way?
1: Well, I mean, look, we saw Josh McDaniels do it to Derek Carr. Now, you know, he wasn't quite as effective. uh, But Derek Carr wasn't having a bad year, but he became the scapegoat. Remember, they sent him home um for the last, you know, two weeks of the season and um to get, you know, avoid uh the injury and yep. uh, you know, ga aspects. I think Jimmy Garoppolo it happened to him. Um so we have seen teams do it. What has been just so bizarre about this one here is just the way that Sean Payton, you know, first the scapegoat was um was um, Nathaniel Hackett and then it was, you know, Russell Wilson and you know, I've been asking a lot of people around about this and it's been pretty fascinating because there have been three schools of thought so far uh, from talent evaluators and coaches that I've been talking to the last two days. And one school of thought is that Russell Wilson can still be a starter in this league, and he got the shaft uh, by um, Sean Payton. But that it just you know Sean Payton didn't do a good job of adapting his offense to Russell's strengths and weaknesses. Another other school of thought is that Russell Wilson isn't what he once was. And Sean Payton was frustrated that, look, I'm having to do all this stuff to support you and mask deficiencies, and why am I going to pay all this money for a dude who's not what he once was? I can do this type of stuff with a lot of running and and misdirection and things like that instead of my typical West Coast offense like I did in in New Orleans. I can do that with a cheaper guy who's got uh, better upside because he's a rookie. And then the third school of thought is that, it's a little bit of everybody's fault. That Russell is not what he once was. His, you know, as a pocket passer, his strengths really are his escapability, pocket passer. He's just okay, and that Sean Payton isn't what he once was as an offensive mind, and hasn't done a good job of this. And that they also don't have around them what Russell needs to succeed, and that the the Broncos gave him all that money because they thought this was going to be a Super Bowl run, and it hasn't been a Super Bowl run. Everybody screwed up on all sides. And so now they have to move on from it. So it's been interesting that everybody has different opinions. Uh, but those are kind of the three mindsets from the you know, dozen or so people that I, I picked their brains about this.
0: That all tracks. I mean, just it's so convoluted. Do you think the PA will have anything to say about this, like threatening basically, a, you know, a contractual situation? Or is this more along the lines of it feels immoral, but it's definitely not illegal?
1: No, I mean, we see guys They threatened, hey, look, if you don't restructure your contract, we're going to have to cut you. We see that happen all the time. That's the thing that why players are always, as, you know, trying to get the guaranteed deals because teams don't value contracts. They don't respect contracts. They'll rip up a player's contract in a heartbeat. But if a player wants to hold out or try to get his contract re-upped, you know, a team then makes them the bad guy. So, you know, unfortunately, this is not um, something that is... You know, foreign or it, it just—it's a dirty feeling, but it's not really something new.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point too. Mike Jones writing about all this and much more in the Athletic. Uh, Mike, what game are you uh, are you covering this weekend?
1: Um, this week, I'm actually as we come down the the wire, I'm keeping tabs on all the divisional clinching things. I won't be at one, but all the teams gotcha. are in position to clinch um, and then be ready to hit the road as the playoffs kick off.
0: Yeah, so that means if you're following him at by Mike Jones on the aforementioned Godforsaken website of Twitter uh, that you will get multiple games' worth of analysis, which is also great. Uh, Mike, thanks as always for the time. Again, happy holidays to you and yours, and uh, hopefully I'll, I'll run into you at some point soon.
1: Sounds good, Craig. Hope you have a good one.
0: Thanks. You too, buddy. Yeah, that is Mike Jones with us here on The Hoffman Show. Um, one thing real quick that I'll say and um, is – Thank God Washington didn't trade for Russell Wilson or someone like Russell Wilson, right? Because you think of the – like what happened with the Russell Wilson trade is right before they sold the team, the old ownership group, the estate of um, Pat Bolin, they greenlit the Russ trade. So that was the old ownership who burdened the new ownership with the contract, the quarterback – and giving up all of those assets, at least Dan Snyder, on his way out, hamstrung this team in a way that there is a blank slate moving forward. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna not be a good owner, and you're gonna do something crazy, have it be don't invest enough on the way out, where it's just like, hey, all right, well, shoot, I guess the new guy's gonna come in, have one lost season, and then eighty million dollars in cap space. And uh, by the way, he he got some extra draft picks in the middle of the, his first season, versus what the Bolin estate did to the Walton family and the Denver Broncos.
1: That's brutal. <laughs> yeah. Good gracious. Now. Because now, like, or it, w- go ahead. W- what do they go from here now? Like, are are, are they in a total necessarily rebuild? That's a lot. I think of you dead just invest cap- in whatever
0: Sean Payton wants to do. You're just like, all right, man. You think you can do this with a younger quarterback? Like, we're paying you a bunch of money. We gave up draft picks for you. We're following your plan. And, like, he did turn them around this year from the brutal start. And maybe it, it, you know, another year of bringing in their guys. And, you know, if I'm Peyton, I'm like, hey, this is going to be a slower rebuild because we don't have any of our freaking draft picks. No draft picks. Probably not a lot of money because you got to eat a lot of this uh, Russell Wilson contract. Yeah, next year it could be terrible for them. Yeah. But what you do, I think, is you take the gigantic – because there's a thought you could split the – you do it post-June 1st. Yeah. Um, and you split the split it over two years. I might just take the whole thing this year. Might you be like, we are going to eat Poopsie for a year. Oof. To be ready to go in two. But yeah. we'll see. Um, now, Dan Snyder certainly did not leave without leaving a whole mess of issues – uh, we're going to talk to our old friend Don Van Nada about the most recent one that has wound up in a courtroom at 6 p.m. But next, our NFL tears here on the Hoffman Show.